Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. The Holy Spirit has been impressing it on my heart lately to emphasize a few things that we assume many a time to know or have a full understanding of and because of that, we ignore or sometimes overlook the most patent instructions therein. And thereby, we are deflated, we are broken. Many a times, we are frustrated in our walk of salvation and our journey of serving God. And because this is the year of priestly consecrations, many of the sermons that I'm going to be preaching are deliberate by God to lay the right foundations for our altars to speak the way they ought to speak. The way they ought to speak. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we talk about the way they ought to speak, we mean to manifest forth. That's why Paul says that I may manifest your word as I ought to speak it. That I may manifest your word as I ought to speak it. The word of God must be manifested. It must be shown forth. The indelible mark that this thing that we are preaching, praying through, fasting through, really works. It must manifest in your personal life. If it's not manifesting, then I'm not speaking it right. Hallelujah. But back to what I was trying to assert here, that sometimes we find ourselves leaving out some of the weightier, the deeper issues of certain things because we assume we understand them fully. Jesus, in the Gospel of St. Matthew, the 23rd chapter, the 23rd verse, he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He told them you pay tithe of mint and of anise and cumin and have omitted, listen, the weightier matters of the law judgment, mercy, and faith. This ought you to have done and not to leave the other. So all of these things we teach are important. But it's important to really identify the weightier things. The things that we ignore while we do other things. I've realized that many a time some of the deepest truths are hidden in the most evident simplicities. It's one of those days that I want to really dig into this. And the title of the sermon this evening, if you're writing notes, I'm going to call it Finding Your Purpose. You can put a full colon and write Understanding God's Plan for Your Life. And I think this ultimately uh, defines the depth of this conviction this evening. Understanding God's Plan for Your Life. Hallelujah. 
The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, 28, a famous scripture that we all read. It says, and we know, listen, that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, comma, to them who are called according to his purposes. Or to purpose. The Bible says all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to them who are called according to his purposes. These two wonderful elements here that are given in this scripture. One, the element of love for a man to affirm his love for his God, of which many of us easily can relate with and understand at every level, almost every level of our walk in this uh, salvation. But when we touch according to his purpose, called according to his purpose, not many of us can define the reality of this truth. And God has given the ultimate promise. Things will work all together for the good of a man or woman who loves the Lord and is called according to his purposes. So some of the challenges that we go through in life are not necessarily because the devil is strong. They're not necessarily that we are bad people, but in part that we don't have the full counsel of God's purpose for our lives. And he has said here in scripture that all things will start to walk in agreement, in consonance to each other when you love the Lord, comma, and if you are called according to his purposes. I can tell you, I know people whose marriages are at their worst because they did not walk according to the purposes of God. Whose businesses are failing because they did not walk according to the full counsel of God whose ministries are struggling every night and day, or some are not necessarily struggling, but they are stalled. They are paused somewhere because they have not walked according to the purposes of God. They have not taken time to search out fully the plan of God concerning their lives. Yes, you wake up in the morning and say, I think I'm planning this, I think I'm planning that. Yes, it is in the right of man to plan, but it's given in the jurisdiction of God to direct the footsteps of that man. And we wake up guessing our lives. I think, let me do this. Hopefully it will give me that. Let me try that. Hopefully it will give me that. And then sometimes we copy other people and become cheap copies of great originals because we're trying to give our best, to be our best, but on our own terms, not necessarily God's plan for our lives. You can live in a deeply conflicted world, in altered times. What are altered times? Altered times are situations where things do not appear in the time they should appear 
for you. And you can discern that either certain things come earlier than they should to a disadvantage or they come later than they should again to a disadvantage because you are not calibrated right. You're not aligned right to the purposes of God, to the callings of God, to the assignments of God. One time I watched a wonderful story of a minister who faithfully in his understanding served the Lord and then one day he died and when he died he was taken to heaven, carried and he shares a lot of what happens in heaven and again please I must put a disclaimer here um Sometimes it's hard to explain fully to certain individuals, especially those who have not taken time to study the word, that not everybody who comes with a narrative from the other world is really mature enough to carry the language of what they've experienced or qualified enough to speak or minister in the maturity required to speak in light to what they have seen and the reality of the mind of God. Let me explain it simpler. A child who is four or five could die and go to heaven and see heavenly realities and come back on the earth. But if that child is perhaps maybe four years and they start giving an account of what they saw, it's different from a person who has walked with God for 20, 15 years, having a similar experience with a background of having studied scripture accurately and aligned to truth as scripture gives us. Okay? There will be a big variance between these two people narrating their story. Or a person who died and went to heaven and returned but they had never read the Bible or walked with God. Because they also need to start from scratch and start the journey. It's like I have read or heard wonderful stories of people who were former Satanists and I've had quite a number of them over the years. And some really carry the maturity and the reconciliation to truth enough to be able to edify the body of Christ. But I've also seen a few who from that world come with the assumption that because they knew Satan so much, therefore they know God well. You see? And some start to narrate things of the devil, which you can tell by scripture actually was deception because they served the father of all lies. And having come from that world, even though they have now come into the kingdom of the light, somebody needs to establish them in the foundation of truth so that they can separate what was true and what was false under the world they were serving so they can be more effective to, to the kingdom of God. Are you following what I'm saying? So, uh, this man I'm talking about was one of those people who had been, had really a, a good foundation of truth. So those are the kinds I want to hear because when they speak that reality and they reconcile it with this, the few experiences we have had in the spirit can connect easily because our foundations firstly are from what the word we read shows us, but two also, but some of us have also had some heavenly experiences, even though we didn't die, we left this, we've left this body before and we've walked, we've seen things. The reality is somebody could speak about heaven and I know them because I've walked those places. 
They are not new to me. You understand? But somebody can come and start narrating and you think, mm, <laughs> this one, they were led to another place. <laughs> you know? But this is one of those people who I, I, I found was really speaking the reality of things as I know them in scripture and maybe my own few experiences I've had with the Lord. But he says something so profound that really woke me up in such a powerful way. He said, he is before the Lord Jesus and he is being showed what he has done on the earth. And he was a servant of God. He was a giver. He was doing everything that you know all of us servants of God do. And Jesus tells him, but I have one problem, one challenge with you. That you did the works of God, but not from God and for God. You see, you did the works of God, not of God and from God, but they were for you. They were not of you. They were not inspired by the Spirit of God, aligned to the purposes for which God had sent you on the earth to do for Him. And God tells this man, I'm going to give you an opportunity, this time to go back, but for me to do works of me, for me, from me. It becomes different when you actually think through this, that it's possible to do a work of God, but not from God. That is, it's not his instruction to you or for God. It's not for the benefit of the kingdom, but for your own benefit and the wisdom to know the difference. The wisdom to know the difference. The grace to have the understanding of the depth of the statement I just made. That Peter, you might go to the Gentile church, but I called you to the circumcised. That yes, there is a need, but that's not your assignment. It's not the purpose for which I have called you on the earth. That there are certain doors you will be able to open and have the keys of. But the maturity of this wisdom will require that after you open, you let another man enter or even hand the keys to that man that he will open and enter because it's not given to you to open those doors to stay in your lane and keep your course because you have the full instruction of God concerning your life. And I tell you, again, I have said that there are many people living in conflicted eons, ages, worlds that are broken, confused, out of order because they are not aligned to the purposes of God. So this someone is for those who have always had the question, how do I find my purpose? But also for those of us who have a glimpse or to a large extent have understood our purpose, it helps us calibrate. It helps us go back to the foundation of things to have the full understanding where we might have missed the most important instructions to fine fine tune to benchmark 
to say, okay, God, now I see the standard. I think I'm going to go back and make sure that I align everything, that I don't miss a thing in this journey of purpose. So yes, it's a wonderful sermon for those who are still searching their purpose. This is a good place. Those of you who have already found, but are still feeling in your spirit that there are missing parts. You know, we are spiritual beings. When there are missing parts in your life, you can tell, you can feel that I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And it begins with that deep sense of frustrated potential. I have already said that, frustrated potential. I say it, but I don't think that many of us really understand how deep this thing called frustrated potential is. But in simpler language, the feeling that what I'm feeling I have the potential to do, the ability to do, I cannot manifest outside. But I'm not living to the full potential that I feel has been planted in my spirit by reason of divine purpose. And there are many Christians like that. It doesn't mean that they're not a success. They can be a success, but not to where God wants them. That doesn't mean that you don't have a wonderful house, a wonderful car, or a fairly successful ministry. But for me to get to heaven, and I've pastored millions, and God tells me you could have pastored billions, that, that is the frustration. But we have the urgency of the Holy Spirit who convicts us, shows us, reveals to us the deeper things of God and he nudges us night and day, creates a discomfort in your heart, especially when you know you are called for more. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said that. I might not be able to quote that verbatim, but he gave an impression in one of his writings uh, such as that, see, when you are hungry, you can eat food, right? When you are thirsty, you can drink water. So there's many things that can meet our needs. But he said, but if you ever wake up to a place where nothing on the earth can satisfy, that you'd eat and not still feel full because what you're looking for is more than food, that you drink and still feel thirsty because what you're feeling is more than drink. That you dress to your best and still feel unclothed. He said, then you should understand that something higher and out of this world is calling you. It's calling you. The Bible says, deep calleth unto deep. Deep calleth unto deep. Deep calleth unto deep. He says that all the waves and your billows are gone over me. I'm talking to somebody who feels that there is more. There is more. You're not lustful. You just feel that it's just, you didn't even put this thing in you. You didn't call it, you didn't invite it. But every time you sit there, you feel like something on my spirit. There's something there. I feel it, it's inside there. I just don't know how to express it. I just don't know how to explain it. That there's something that starts to break you in ways that you can never explain. I remember in my earlier years of ministry, especially university time, sometimes I would just sit and feel so sad in my spirit. 
not because I'm under any demonic operation, but I was feeling like the need of heaven was impressed on my heart in such a way. Oh yes, I knew that the sufficiency cannot is not of us to think of anything by us, he says, but the sufficiencies of God, which has made us able ministers of the covenant. And I understand the ability given to us by the finished work of Christ at the cross because we are made to be conformed to that image and likeness by reason of predestination. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says, for those to whom he predestined, again from the Romans where we read, before I knew he predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. So we understand the work of God to conform us, sumorphosis, to be likened to the vision of Christ. I understand that journey. But then in being conformed to that image, it means that there is a vision that will imprint on your spirit concerning his heart. And some of the things that seem simple to people become so heavy a burden on your life. And when the purposes of God start surrounding your narrative, trust me, you will become strange to some people. You go out of some proper narratives, if I may call it. When they're eating, you don't want to eat. When they feel like they're jubilating, you don't find you no know, joy in whatever is tickling them because your affections are in another place. Your feeling is of God. You see, when you are too alive to the world, Even your definition of pleasure is different from a man who is dead. When you look at this world, everything that is pleasurable is a satisfaction of the flesh. It feeds our carnality. When you die to the flesh, the word pleasure is another thing. It's another thing. You know, there was a time they used to tell us, pray. But there's a time a godly pleasure rests you. And nobody tells you to pray. You just find that you can't stop praying. Because nothing gives you that joy and satisfaction that enjoying the presence of God. You're not going there because you have problems. You're going there because there's things he's putting in your spirit. Psalm 16, verses 11. He says, you'll show me the path of life. The vision of the path of life. He says, you'll show me the path of life. And he says, in thy presence is the fullness of joy. And thy right hand, they are pleasures forevermore. You'll show me the path of life. You will show me the path of life. To really know what life is. When we're still canoe, Somebody would say, let's go and eat life. Direct translation. How many of you understand what I'm saying? Let's go and what? Eat life. 
Africans understand what I'm saying. In other words, let's go have fun. It was the mindset that we had to do something, you know, enjoyable. And then you go back home and tell people, oh, I've enjoyed my life. Why? Because they drove a very expensive car, went on a beach, and then sat in the hot sand and then came out and played a few games and, you know, flew to Dubai and then went on an island somewhere in, in France or something like that, and then, or Brazil, and then they said, oh man, we had fun. I've eaten life. But when God starts to draw you to the place Paul was, that of all those things which were gained to me, I have counted loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ for whom I count all things but done, that I may win him. That I may win him. That I may win Christ. He's talking about the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. They were lost. I'm not saying we don't go on beaches if you have to. I'm not saying you shouldn't have fun with your families. I'm only saying you appreciate and understand that there's an end to that and it's not the source. It's not the meaning of your life. Some people, the meaning of their life is in how much money they will make on earth, how beautiful houses they'll sleep in or how wonderful cars they'll drive and you know, good schools their children will go to and they'll say, oh, I found meaning. But I'll tell you, all of these things can be empty. Because there are people who have all of that and they're right now seated on a bed somewhere with pills in their hands, ready to take their life because it's meaningless. Are you following what I'm saying? That was an experience Job went through and I see Job in 17 verses 11. When he's going through the frustrations of his life, he says, my days are past. My purposes are broken. Because of that, he says, even the thoughts of my heart. Because when he went through those attacks, he lost his children, became afflicted with boils, lost his wealth. You know, his friends are judging him and God wrongly. He finds that there's no purpose in life and his thoughts are broken. A man who carries no purpose or who has broken purposes has broken thoughts. What are broken thoughts? Broken thoughts are confused thoughts, deluded thoughts, thoughts that by judgment are incoherent. Let me use that word. Are incoherent to proper. There's a young man right now on drugs. He's taking a high uh, dose of cocaine or hearing. And he's laughing. Ah, yeah, this is fun. That's a broken man. Because he has to escape the real world to find joy. There's no purpose on his life. You understand? I was reading a interesting article a couple of months ago and they were saying one of the happiest places on the earth is Iceland. So in my head, I perceived in my spirit that there was something wrong with that equation. 
Iceland, I said. Iceland is one of the coldest places on the earth. How can people be happy in such a cold? Are you getting it? There was something out of this equation. So I searched because I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it. I read there, you know, you can study there, the number of Christians there and the size of the church. There's just something not reconciling. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. One of those days, a video comes up that I'd not asked for. <laughs> and I take time to click on it because it engaged something I was searching about. The Holy Spirit brought that to me. And there was a very interesting documentary that 90% of the adults in Iceland take antidepressants and anti-anxiety pills. Ah, I understood why they are happy. <laughs> they, they're on drugs. Do you understand what I'm saying? Otherwise, the suicide rates will be high and stuff like that. And I do sympathize with them. Because I wish they knew Jesus. Who tells you be anxious about nothing? You have the option to pray with all supplications and thanksgiving, making your requests known unto God. And as you continue to pray, the Bible says, verse 7, that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. When a man's heart and mind is guarded, there is no anxiety. There is no depression when a man's heart is guarded and mind is guarded in Christ Jesus. So, many of the parts where the gospel is not really established, especially in Europe and many parts, they are living on something to feel normal. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. Because there are things only the Holy Spirit can do. He can give you joy unspeakable, full of glory. Hallelujah. Are you learning something? So I said, the thoughts are incoherent. They are lifeless. They are despondent. They are sad. They don't even know how sad they are, but their lives are boring. And there's many Christians, even who are serving God, but their thoughts are broken. They wake up at 3 a.m. and worry. They wake up at 2 a.m. and worry about things that have an end in their own doing. They wake up frustrated of things they can't explain. They wake up angry and they don't know why they are angry. There's things that are missing in there. There's some broken purposes. When you find God's plan for your life, you wake up every morning with some sort of animation, some sort of excitement, some sort of reason to be alive. Life becomes exciting, and I'm not saying that challenges don't come, things might come and attack you left, right, and center, but there's that joy that is fixed, and that satisfaction that never goes away. 
because you are where you're supposed to be, doing what you're supposed to be doing. The rest of the challenges in life simply start melting away and dissolving before your sight because the glory of God that is on your life covers the places of your frustrations. Your life then, only and then can it be worthwhile. Hallelujah. So there are three things that I wanted to give us that I felt are easier to remember, but I feel in my heart will help either you find your purpose, help you find your purpose on the earth, or will help you, like I say, calibrate, align, get a definitive blueprint, a very clear standard to align everything to agree so you don't miss out for those of you like i said who, have, who already have a clue of your purpose or to a large extent are living most of it that if you're living 80 percent or 70 i pray that in this someone you whatever i'm going to share in its simplicity and things i believe some of you know but i'm going to express them in a deeper thought will help you get a hundred percent of god's plan for your life hallelujah and there are three things write them and i'll explain each one counsel number one two time and number three judgment counsel time and judgments counsel time and judgments those three things those three things will help you either find your purpose or calibrate where you have discovered your purpose let me begin with this thing called counsel proverbs 15 verses 22 it's a known fact that without counsel, purposes are disappointed, isn't it? But in the multitude of counselors, they are what? This is very important. Godly counsel. He says without counsel, purposes are disappointed. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Proverbs chapter 20 verses 18. It says every purpose, listen, every purpose is established by counsel. It begins with divine counsel. And he says, and with good advice, make war. In other words, there are battles in this life you will never fight until you are tuned to the right counsel. And there are two things that align you to the right counsel. Number one, learning to hear the voice of God learning to hear the voice of God. This is one of the hardest studies in the Christian faith because a man can have a degree of theology over their head, a master's uh, degree, a PhD, and even have any other qualifications you can find in this Christian faith. Build a library and be able to teach many of the same, but still never be able to hear the word of God accurately and I think it's in the simplicity of his person like I have shared that and Paul says it I fear this was his fear least by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety he said so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity which is in Christ that they, it takes a very high level of corruption of the spirit 
for a man to find God complicated to hear him in the place where God has said it's actually so simple to hear me. Look at how many Christians out there are looking for men of God to tell them what God is saying. Look at how many believers are looking for apostles, prophets. What is the Lord saying? Because it's hard for them to hear the purposes of God. And God says, this is the very corruption that I'm emphasizing, the fear that Paul had, that in the subtlety of the devil, he has deceived the minds of Christians to find as complicated that which was simple from the beginning of time as we know it, from the day he created Adam, that first man. That even when Adam and Eve had sinned, they were talking to God like we are talking together. That even when Cain had killed Abel, God comes to Cain and tells him, where is your brother? They are talking. He is at loggerheads of already with every law of harvest. He has conflicted with God because he has killed a worshiper. But when God asks him, where is Abel thy brother? He says, I don't know. He's talking to God like, there's no intimacy. But there's a clarity of communication between the fallen man and his God. 2024, Christians are struggling to hear God even on a job. Even on a marriage partner. Some people married the wrong person. And they think that because they were joined in church, therefore God joined it. That's religion. You don't force God to agree with your own purposes because you've consecrated it with an altar. That's not how God works. If the Bible says you cannot unequally yoke with an unbeliever and you get married, God didn't join that, but a man can join it. Are you following what I'm saying? Why is it so hard for us to hear God who was supposed to hear so easily? Because of the corruption and it begins with the doctrine. It begins with the doctrine. In Revelation, it talks about the doctrine of Balaam. The teaching is already skewed. Many people who are walking this life of salvation and ministry didn't really go through the right primal means. I mean, the primary principles that were necessary for their consecration, they skipped. And some think that they're pastors because somebody ordained them as a pastor. Some think that they're an apostle or a prophet because somebody ordained them as an apostle. Some I have seen in a lifetime occupy all the five. You meet a person, he's an evangelist. Then tomorrow, they ordain him as a prophet. Then another day, they ordain him as a bishop. Then another day, they ordained him as a pastor. Then the other day, they ordained him as an apostle. Then after that, he becomes a doctor. Then we have to go back again. Sometimes you wear the hearts of those people and you see insecurities that are amassed over the years by reason of having missed out a very pertinent stage in their consecration.
tell you, child of God, God can kill you to a place where no title even matters. No title matters. That it matters most to you that you are functional. I've seen people who are offended. You call him James. He says, hey, 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 hey. Apostle James. Call me right. Respect the order of the Spirit. <laughs> are you following what I'm saying? And they get offended. Like my man of God already said, it's not the title on the can, it's the contents. You know, it can be a Coca Cola bottle, but it's empty. Are you following what I'm saying? Never seek functions, seek to carry the content. Am I preaching to somebody? If you don't call me doctor, if you don't call me prophet, the miracle will not happen on you. I'm helping somebody. I'm helping somebody. And I'm offending somebody. But I'm also helping somebody. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. So, let's go back to this. The corruption of not hearing God. And I believe that's the biggest attack on the church of Jesus Christ today. That if, as the Bible says in Timothy, that expressly the Spirit has spoken that men shall give heed to seducing spirits, teach doctrines of devils, and a man won't be able to know the difference because the place that hears God is dead. The counsel of God is not present on their lives. And they do not know it. Because they are functional to a certain degree, but not to the fullest as God has designed it to be. That is why this evening, in one of the things we should pray for when I pray, is that may God open our ears to hear him as we ought. What actually complicates this most, and probably let me help some of you understand. I'm not planning to share this, but let me go a bit deeper here. Do you know that if your vision is not full, you can never hear God right? Even if he spoke, you might not get the full instruction of his words because your vision is not full. And that is why it would not carry an order to teach men to hear a God of whose vision they don't carry fully. Let's talk about this from a physical realm. Do you only know your biological father by his voice? Do you only know your biological mother by his voice? No. There are things that you know them about, all of them, that are deeper than what they say to you. Artificial intelligence might mimic your father's voice, 
But if it spoke, there are things you can pick in the nuances, the idiosyncrasies that your mother or father might carry that artificial intelligence might not be able to give you. And you can tell that this is a machine talking like my dad or my mother. There are things I know about him and he can't say this because I know him. Are you following what I'm saying? Because I said this a couple of years ago because I've helped a few in deliverance. There is a familiar spirit that talks like God. And a man can be convinced that God spoke to them. They would even stake their life and say this was God who spoke, but it wasn't. Because as much as it speaks, it doesn't speak consonantly to his nature. And if you're a reader of the word, you can actually hear some lines spoken and know that this is not God. This is not God. Imagine Peter standing before our Lord and our Lord is telling them, I must go. I must be crucified. And Peter said, no, uh -uh. <laughs> I would kill anybody if they touched you. How can they kill you? We're here. In all sense, Peter meant right. He told him, be it far from thee, my Lord. How can you say that you can die? It shall not be unto thee. Not while we're here. And he proved it later, that this guy could kill anybody for Jesus. But Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me, for thou sufferest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. I can imagine if Jesus had kept quiet, there would have been a few disciples saying, mm, man, Peter loves his Lord. Eh? I know me too, God. Eh? Let them touch you. Let's, let's make an army here. Let's make an army here. If they come, we also attack. I have some money. I have guns. You see? If Jesus had not answered that statement, there's many people out there who would have thought, mm, this man loves his Lord. And this is the right attitude that a disciple should have for his master. Yes, but not in this instance. Not in this instance. In this instance, there's a bigger plan to be fulfilled only in the revelation of the heart of God catching his purposes for mankind. So it's possible even in the most right meaning voice for a familiar spirit to speak and you think God is speaking. You can speak through your spouse, can speak through your child, can speak through your mother, it can speak through your biological father who loves you and they're speaking everything with the right heart but with the wrong understanding of the work of the Spirit. Oh, no, 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 no! Don't go there! The roads are dangerous! You can pray from here. And somebody might mean right, but speak something that is conflicted with the way of the Spirit and the way of God. Because if indeed your child is going to meet God, how can he not watch over them? If there are kids right now in bars going to go back home at 3 a.m. and make it, why should yours get lost at 9.30? Do you understand what I'm saying? 
know. I know what I'm telling you. When we are praying for you, we know what to pray over your lives. Unless you don't know how to keep yourself. But that's what we're teaching. God has given you principles by which he says, if you do this, he says, surely it shall not come near you. And he means it. Some of you must understand, you know, the challenge is we're living in a generation that fears the devil more than it fears God. They fear the devil more than they fear God. One time a girl was walking in the night and a thief gets her, gets an iron and puts it on her neck to kill her and tells her, I want money. And she says, I don't have money. Then he puts her on a line and says, call somebody right now who has money and tell him to send money right now or else I'm going to put this iron through your neck. True story. She calls me. Papa, Papa, there's a guy. He's put a metal on my neck. He's going to kill me. He said that, that if I don't give him money, he said he wants me to you to send money now. So I tell the lady with a metal on her neck, I tell the lady, give him to me on phone. The fool said, hello. I told him in the name of Jesus, I'm going to give you only five seconds. If you don't leave that woman right now, I'm going to strike you dead. I just hear the guy. Whoop, 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 whoop. Sometimes you have to put on that face that tells the devil, I can't die here. Not now. Let them look for others to kill, not you. If a man can walk from a bar at 5 a.m. and make it at home, why should you be killed coming out of the presence? It will not happen in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let God be true and every man a liar. Some of you have to be crazy enough to take your place and claim your right. Hallelujah. Back to what I was trying to tell us here. Without the right vision of God, we can't be sure of the voice we hear. That is why it's important to seek to know Him by vision. Because when you have the right vision, the full understanding of who He is, when He speaks, you know Him. He says, my sheep, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. They hear my sheep here. My sheep here. My sheep here. So if you're his sheep and you're not hearing him, something's wrong. You're not a follower. You're a borrower of oracles. Damage control. You only apply scripture when you're in trouble. But if you have a disciplined pattern, a life that is fully committed to God to follow through his ways, you will learn to hear him. And the more you hear him, the more you are aligned to his purposes or plans for your life. There are people who are praying, Father, I want to know what your will is about this. 
yet they should actually be praying, I need to hear you. I need to know you. I need to have a full and perfect or accurate vision of your person and to hear your voice. If you pray that prayer, when the time comes for God to purpose, your ear will be open enough to hear. Simple, yet very profound. That is why, because the devil wants to divert many Christians off purpose, he has robbed them of the ability to see and hear God. Because he knows that's all they need. If they can't hear him, they will align themselves. Hallelujah, somebody. Are you learning something? He says, and with good advice, make war. That means there are wars you will never fight until you have the right counsel. So I said one, to hear the voice of God. Number two, to trust your life with a person you trust can hear God. Because God has always used the agency of men since the beginning of the earth to the end. He says, obey them that have the rule over you. To have somebody to rule over you, to tame you. To know that in this world there's a woman or man that can discipline me. To tell me not to go a place I want to go. Because some of you, your own drivers. And it's a sign of immaturity. When you were younger, he says to John, you went where you wanted to go. You guddled yourself. And he says, but when you grow or you shall be old, you shall stretch forth your hands and another shall guard thee and carry thee where you would not go. To have somebody who can tell you, this don't do and you can actually hear. If you don't trust them, look for another one, but find someone. If you don't trust that one also, look for another one you can trust, but have somebody whom you can say, God, if I miss it, at least speak to this man or this woman. Because I love you enough not to miss. See, like I've said this and I've repeated this times without number, but some of you have not understood the seriousness of this. In Hebrews it says, obey them, amplified, give it to me the amplified version, Hebrews 13, 17. He says that obey spiritual leaders, right? And submit to them, continually recognizing their authority over you. To know that you have somebody over you. Somebody was saying the other day, I met a Christian who said, For me, I have nobody above me except Christ. <laughs> Hebrews 13, 17. They are deeper than Hebrews 13, 17. They are deeper than Paul. <laughs> and they feel that they are closer to God than those who submit themselves to divine purpose. He says, for they are constantly keeping watch over your soul. That means there's somebody on earth who will watch over your soul. They will not call you every day to tell you this is what I see. But there are things we see and pray. We'll not tell you on everything we have seen. Some we have to, some we might... But there will always be somebody in this world who sees things happen before you see them. You might miss it, but he won't miss it. Why? Because he is ordained by God to constantly keep watch over you, guarding your spiritual welfare as men or women who will have to render an account of their trust because God will hold them accountable. Why did that guy die early? Why isn't that woman's marriage working? 
Now the man of God says, ah, she doesn't listen to me as a pastor. You see what I'm saying? He says, they will render an account. He tells you, do your part and let them do this with gladness and not with sighing and groaning for that would be unprofitable for you either. Somebody is guarding your spiritual welfare. Oh yes, God has put it as a command for us all who understand the way of the Spirit. Because if I miss it by my experiences because I might be myopic in understanding or immature in interpretation of a thing, at least I know somebody I can talk to and know that he's well guided or she is well guided enough to tell me this is a no. That's just how God works. And there are people who have not found their purposes yet because they can't listen to anybody. They can't listen to anybody. Are you following what I'm saying? That's the reason why you go to church, the body of Christ. Because you'll find people God has gifted there who can look at you and see more than you're able to see over yourself, even if you're a prophet. There is a realm that is hidden even to the most accurate seer. And it's embedded in the judgments of God concerning this pattern. Hebrews 13, 17. Even the most, most ardent seer, the most accurate seer, the deepest seer, Hebrews 13, 17, has a place and a dimension that disqualifies their eye from seeing certain things even of their own self because God has not designed life to be that way. Wow! Some of you should read history. I wish you read of a man called William Branham. If you call prophets, William Branham was another level because the things he has done, 2024, no prophet has done. I've not seen anybody who could bring a crippled kid who is like a golf ball and speak words and that kid stretches out and walks and runs name mother's name and calls them in front and heals the kid straight and they walk back walking if you're talking of power a man speaks and heaven makes a cloud a ring it's literally open god is saying i'm excited about this ninja <laughs> that i can actually show off there's a picture showing this man's halo of light over his head He's speaking and a light comes and settles over his head and they take a photo. It's not cropped. It's not manipulated. It's real time happening. I've not seen it in some who claim they're deep. Prophets and apostles and pastors alike. But Gordon Lynch came and told this man, this prophet who could see everything, he tells him, Gordon Lynch told him, Man of God, you've missed it here. William Branham said, uh-uh, I can't miss it. It's not possible. Gordon Lindsay could not anywhere match the rank of demonstration of power that William Branham had, but he carried the wisdom and an eye to see where William was going off the course. And he couldn't see it. And God told Gordon about two years before that this man is going to die. Heaven, God is taking him home. Another one prophesied that death, month, and time he would die. But it was blind to William. Yet he was a very gifted man. That, it doesn't matter how apostolic, 
how prophetic, how pastoralic. That's my own language. How evangelistic you are. Hebrews 13, 17, you don't escape. I think God has done that to keep us humble. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. There are certain wars you will never fight until a voice of counsel comes, either by God or by your cover, and say enough, and God would hear that. God would hear that. Or do this, and it's clear. God has told you the way out, and there's just no other way it's going to go. I've done that because by, in my walk of life, there are people I have saved greatly by a simple instruction and told them, don't do this. And they don't do it and things turn out. Or you tell them, do this and things turn. And you can tell if they had just missed that voice, they would have been so off tangent and made mistakes that might cost them years. Never make a mistake out of pride. Don't, don't be too proud not to be corrected. All of us submit to spiritual authority. Hallelujah. The other last two are in the same portion of scripture, but I will handle them differently because in their own, each independently has its depth in explanation. Ecclesiastes 8 verse 6. Because to every purpose, he has said to every purpose, he has brought two things that are important that I want to emphasize. There is what? Time and judgment. Time and judgment. To every purpose there is time and judgment. He has spoken these two things. He spoke of counsel number one, time and judgment. Now let me talk about time. The Hebrew word there used for time is ait. Ait. Ait doesn't mean your time clock. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, January, February, March. It doesn't mean midnight. 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock. It doesn't even mean God's timing. Ait means experiences, spiritual experiences, spiritual occurrences. He says that the place of your experiences must be consecrated. That's the place of your conscience because the conscience is the place that he has gone. Paul calls it bearing witness with his conscience. He's in a man, right? The place of your conscience must be consecrated enough to design the experiences, receive the experiences, acquaint yourself with the experiences, understand the experiences of the Spirit. By that you can't miss purpose. So time here is experiences. It would read different if you had it when I read it this way. Because to every purpose, there are experiences. To every purpose, there are experiences. That is why it's important, like I said, when we are given the right foundation in this faith, to introduce men to the safe place of experience in God and not be guilty of exercising themselves beyond the boundaries that are defined by the spirit of truth or by reason of their immaturity in expressing themselves while their liberties are given. Sometimes people might find themselves go beyond the boundaries. 
a wonderful professor was telling me a very interesting story about sheep. For those people who have looked after sheep for some time, that for a long time when shepherds take these sheep to eat in the pastures, a time comes where the shepherd teaches this sheep the line not to cross. And as this sheep mature, they reach a place where they can never cross that line. They will be free ranging in the field. You'll see them moving, but they're all conscious of the boundaries between their territory and their neighbor's territory. And it's amazing. As interesting as, oh damn, sometimes sheep can be. They never cross that line. Now, when you study from uh, Jewish philosophy, when they talk about a lost sheep, a sheep is lost when it cannot design beyond the imaginary boundaries that its shepherd has set it. That's what they call a lost sheep. You get it? It's not necessarily meandering far that you can't see. It. But if a mother's sheep is here with her children, right? And other sheep are eating, it always comes and shows them that this is as far as we eat. We don't cross two meters in. And they will never cross there. They can express themselves in the liberties for as far and wide as this ground is, but they never go beyond a certain line. But if a sheep crosses that line, it's called lost. So someone is not as lost because they are missing in the fold, but they're as lost as the position that they carry even to the minutest millimeter outside the boundaries of the liberties given. You get it? So, I think it's the responsibility of the church to teach people the boundaries around our liberties because all godly liberty has boundaries. Because once they can understand that boundary without shame or guilt or the fear of going off course, they can express themselves in this liberty and receive all manner of experiences and will not worry to turn another person back to line because we feel that they're in the excess of a thing. Yes, in every revival, there will always be excesses. But eventually, if we maintain the boundaries, they eventually find themselves in those boundaries. Some ministers, instead of maintaining the boundaries and keeping the liberty, they take away the liberty. So, literally, the boundary is reduced to zero. And again, frustrated potential comes. And because they're frustrated, they become wild. Because they have no place anymore to call their own territory. And as you continue to draw those, to draw those boundaries so close to them, now that is called the spirit of religion. It seeks to be politically correct. It soars on the lines of reason and reason and reason. If something is not reasonable, if it can't be calculated, it's not true. You carry a form of godliness but denying the very power thereof. Somebody tells you, oh, they, we've been in this thing for years, we've been, and then you bring them a flu and they can't heal a flu. 
That's not the way of the Spirit. With all due respect, that I may make manifest as I ought to speak it. If we don't deliver people into that liberty, and every time we're scaring them of boundaries, yet they don't understand the liberties, we're in trouble. Or if there are no boundaries to that. That's why now we are challenged with a newer breed of ministers who seem so gifted, you see themselves so expressed in the liberties, but it's as though they are telling this generation that there are no boundaries. The other day I saw in shock a prophet <laughs> prophesying to a lady and he's telling her, you went to a bed. I see that you are using this, the color of the condoms. <laughs> I see, Jesus, this ain't the Holy Spirit. The nicker you are putting on was this color. The bed sheets you are putting on were this color. People are screaming, yeah, professor. And I'm like, mm, 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 mm. listen. <laughs> the Holy Spirit cannot take a prophet into a woman's nika. That's not possible. And tell them how many rounds and the condoms they use. That is not the Holy Spirit. But that's the newer breed of ministers. And this is not only happening to prophets, even as apostles, we are dealing with our things. Pastors, we are also dealing with our things. Yes, evangelists, we also have our issues. God help us. So when you say there are no boundaries, it brings a generation of people who are so in the liberties that they express themselves beyond the spirit is able to give and give heed to familiar spirits. Oh, Balaam didn't. Balaam could hear God and give in to gain sayings. He could hear a familiar spirit and prophesy by a familiar spirit and then switch back. Balaam prophesied the coming of Christ. But he could switch into a familiar spirit and teach Balak a mystery and teach him how to curse the children of Israel through a mystery by the inspiration of a familiar spirit. You see what I'm saying? So it's possible to trade in both worlds. <sighs> Experiences. Yet we what? We need them. That is why how I wish we are all established firstly in this word. Then we heal. Then we teach. Then we prophesy. Then we do everything. But firstly, tame your son, your daughter to burn this thing until they get it. Because this is the ultimate experience. Are you following what I'm saying? So we need those experiences. And people like that are easy to bring back if they're correctable. If they have covers over their head, somebody can tell, no, 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 don't do that. This is beyond. Okay, sorry. And it's done to benefit the church. That doesn't say that is less. But it's a consequence of, you know, Bread's not turned. It's Hosea says it. But listen to this. Experiences are key. And I'm not talking about this lustful desire. God, I want to have an experience of you. Listen, God wants you to have an experience of him more than you want to have an experience of him. Your father wants you to have experiences more than you want them. But positioning is important. Discipline is important. No Christian is going to escape the required discipline 
of consecration. To respect and honor the altar and place you have with God. Those experiences eventually come according to the stages of maturation. Because the experiences of gestation are different from the experiences of the nepios. Because at least that one is out of gestation. They're immature, but at least their bodies, their limbs can move, their eyes can see, their ears can hear. It's different when you're talking to a zygote in the womb. Can a mother hen feed its chicks when they're still in the eggshell? No. She can't. She might want, but she can't. Because that's not the stage that eats that way. Now you understand the place of the church? Huh? Because remember, this is Christ's bride. And he's the groom. Hello? So church is the womb. Somebody says, no, I don't believe in church. Oh, Maybe you have a problem with institutional church. Yeah, we all have some issues with institutional church, especially if it's designed on the foundation of Roman systems. But that apostolic church Jesus started and started in Jerusalem on Solomon's porch, that church still exists in the world and it's still functional. And it still has places to heal and raise men. It's still functional in the world. Across, by the way, it's everywhere. Yes, some are off tangent, but there are some who are still doing the job of Jesus Christ. Yes, the treasures will always be nothing vessels. We're going to be imperfect people, but he still chose us, all of us. Are you following what I'm saying? So these experiences are important because those are the experiences that invite you to certain conversations in God. It was on such an experience that Isaiah is walking in heaven. You remember? And he hears a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Purpose. And he said, Send me, Lord. If Isaiah didn't have that experience, he would not tap into a certain conversation in the heavenlies to position him for the cause or purpose that God wanted to establish on the earth through any man who was available. Because there was a point where God had not chosen one man to do. There was a point where God was looking for any man who could connect to that frequency, that vibration. And that's why I tell people, there is a place for available men. There are places that have realized find certain men and exclusively anoint them. But I've realized that there are also certain places that are found by certain men and still carry exclusive anointing. You understand? Those places are there. There are graces that can find you and come upon you by reason of God's purpose on your life. But there's also that generic purpose of God in a time especially when he has chosen a vessel and that vessel refused to obey. And God says, now I'm availing it for any man who is available. I sought for a man who should stand in the gap. We have seen places before in time memorial where the heavenlies have gathered to discuss whom shall we send. That nobody can be identified on earth as a luminary to carry that burden and mandate. But there's a certain discipline that if it is found in a certain man, that man will by a certain grace ascend where these conversations are. And let me tell you something. Some of the things some of us are doing, we encountered in such places. 
There are things we know we were born to do, but there are things we stumbled into because certain people rejected them. Because when you reject the purposes of God, it doesn't mean that he's going to stop working. He will look for a man who is available. And let me tell you something. There are people in the world every day praying as available men. There are people fasting as available men. That's why I ask you, I ask you, I charge you by God, always pray as an available person. Always fast as an available person. Live with a consciousness of availability to God for you to always carry that understanding and mind that if God is looking for a man who has refused to do something, I am available, God, I will do it. If you give me the grace. Let me tell you, Catherine Coleman always said, and I quote, I was the Lord's handmaid because God appeared to Catherine and told her, you were not my choice, Catherine. Three men I looked for. God told Reinhard Bonnke he was not his choice. He had called four men and he told Reinhard Bonnke, if you don't do it, Reinhard, I will look for another man. But the urgency that I have to revive that continent, Africa, I'm looking for a man. Reinhard told God, take me. So there are places by reason of experiences, God is just looking for a man or woman to say yes. It won't take how qualified you are, how educated you are. And that's why I say the simplicity is key. And one day I wish I had time to really dig this deep. Because some of you think it's intellectual, it's how philosophical you are, it's how elaborate you are, it's how a good person you are, how a this and that person you are. And no, 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 God is looking for a certain heart. He's not looking at how eloquent you can be. He's not looking at how many credentials or curriculum vita you have collected over there. No, there's a certain heart he's looking for, a certain availability he's looking for. That is why, look at his selection. It only takes so much sense for you to doubt that this is just not the pattern of God. Look at the men he chose. The Pharisees were educated. The Sadducees were educated. The scribes were educated. They knew the books. They knew the law. They were stewards of the mysteries. They kept the oracles. They knew the back and front. They knew the principles. You almost thought he would have looked for a man who had a clue, who had a certain starting point to say, let me use this one. But he looked for fishermen, men who didn't go to school, who carried no education, which were indifferent, mad and crazy. And he said, these are the ones I'm going to use because I'm not looking at their title i'm not looking at their education i don't even care which family they were born whether they were a bastard or not whether their mother agrees or not whether they were mm -mm. i'm just looking for a certain person and this fisherman is the right one that's how god works that's how god works so never think never disqualify yourself to think that because God have messed up, I don't deserve. No, even in your most disqualified nature, he's not looking at how much you've failed or how much you've succeeded. He's saying, is your heart still palatable? Are you still broken enough? Are you still bent to listen to me? If you can give me your heart, yes, you've lost 20 years, you've lost 30 years in this madness, but you can give me two years and say, God, now you have my attention. And I'll tell you something, there's a work to do. For the harvest will always be plenteous. The laborers have always been few. I'm not saying there are no laborers, but the true laborers are few. I'm not saying there are no workers. I'm only saying the laborers are few. I'm not saying there are no worshippers. I'm saying the real worshippers are few. I'm not saying there are no teachers. 
I'm saying the real teachers are few. I'm not saying they're not prophets. I'm saying the real prophets are few. I'm not saying there are no apostles. I'm saying the real apostles are few. Experiences. Experiences. But you must create that time. The discipline you have had to even say every Sunday I'm in church, every Thursday I'm in church, it takes a lot of discipline. Because perhaps the person sitting next to you doesn't have that time for God. And those are the same people who are struggling to discover God's plan for their lives. A man who is available in the courts, always available to God, will hear when the need is alarmed. When the trumpet is blown, they pick it. They pick it. And I can study my life and the few men whom I honor, prophets, teachers, evangelists, some of whom I know well. And I can see that clear pattern of experiences that always throw them in the next phase of ministry. Experiences that always throw them in the next phase of ministry. He says, the race is not to the swift, neither the battle to the strong, nor yet bread to the wise, riches to men of understanding, favor to men of skill, but Aith. The word there for time is Aith. Time, experiences, and chance happens to them all. That you might not be the fastest runner, but you might be the available one and win. You might not be the most swift minister, but you might be the available one and win. You might not be the most wise person or the richest, but you might be the available one. Always be available for God. Lastly, judgment. This is the place of wisdom. I think in Luke he calls it wisdom of the just. Very deep thing. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Make ready a people prepared for the Lord. How are they prepared for the Lord? Because they carry the wisdom of the just. They, that makes them ready for God to use them. That's what he says. He shall go forth in the spirit and power of Elijah. Luke 1 17. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. And once they turn to the wisdom of the just. The Bible says they are people made ready. Prepared for the Lord to use. I watched a wonderful minister share something and he disqualified the Proverbs. He said the Proverbs are not a promise. Some of you read Proverbs, raise up the child and where they should go and if they grow, they will not depart. And your children are going off yet you did everything right. Let me correct you, this preacher said, because Proverbs are not promises. Ah, I disagreed. Because I thought to myself, so you're actually saying that for the parent raising up their child in the way they should go, still leaves that child to chance, then God must be weak if I showed my child the way and they went off. So I argue and say, no, Proverbs might not be promises, but they are still truth. It's as though he's saying the Proverbs are not truth. Yet we all agree that the Bible is true. These are wisdoms ancient given to a man by reason of the anointing. 
These were not Solomon's creative ideas out of his natural way of interpreting life. These were inspirations given to him by the person of the Holy Spirit. When you read Proverbs, what do you see? Read Proverbs chapter 1 verses 1. He says, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. And he says, these are to the intent or to the end that a man will know what? Wisdom and instruction to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice and judgments, what we're teaching about, and equity. Now, our politicians should know the difference between equity and equality. Equity and equality. Because you can give all things equal, but to assume that all that you've given equal, all started at the same level, is to miss out a bigger part. And that's why God emphasizes equity. And he says, equity, listen. And he continues to say, to give subtlety to the simple and to the young man, knowledge and discretion. So the place of judgment really is a place of wisdom. Defined in the discretions of the spirit. Defined in diligences. Defined in prudence. Defined in the weights of the spirit. To know how to weigh yourself right. Because you will always pray and seek God in the right testament. Of course, reconciling the place of your faith as it grows from grace to grace, faith to faith, but also with the understanding of how much you can express yourself in how much you are able to connect to that far. So you don't exercise yourself in matters higher than you because that is pride. It's an important thing for everyone to have the true weight of their spirit, the true estimate of their self. Haven't you been around people who think they're smart yet they're not? Haven't you been around people who think that they can sing yet they can't sing? Haven't you been around a person who says, but I'm a good husband, I'm a good husband. But he's not. I'm a good wife, I do everything he wants. And if you enter their mind, they really think they do everything right, but they just have a wrong estimate of themselves. The judgments of God help you have a balanced maturity to judge yourself against your growth. Because we are all a work in progress, including myself. How I understand God now is not how I understood him two years ago, or four years ago, or five years ago. I can realize that there are things that I'm awakening to, learning and unlearning, killing certain things. But at least I think I learned this early, that I carried a very humble approach to my weight. Not because I don't know my rank. I do know my rank. I do know my rank. But I'm only trying to say that I'm also cognizant of how deep and how God can take a man. And I realized that even that which we think is deep, there is deeper. There are places, even what we call depth, can find us so shallow. But to appreciate the things I may never be able to understand that I don't understand them is really the beginning of my brokenness before God to humble, to one, give me the grace to understand what I'm not able to understand that when I meet what I can't understand, I will not only appreciate it, but I will seek to understand it and not be indifferent as one who either thinks I understand what I don't understand 
or doesn't care to know what I don't understand because it's not in the reach of my spiritual appetite. To judge things the way God judges them. Because you can go off purpose out of a small little thing. Yes, these sisters offended you. That man of God has offended you. It's true. But how does God judge this? I've seen people who have left. Oh, I left my pastor. She spoke to me rudely. And I'm thinking, hmm. In leaving that voice, you might have actually gone off tangent with God's purpose. His plan for your life. Because you were easily offended. Because you didn't understand that the judgments of God, these, to understand how God judges matters, eh? is to ask yourself, why this woman of God or man of God, even in their indifference, is still qualified by God? Yet you disqualified them already. Because you don't know God. You see, again, it begins with the other vision. And maybe that hand she left was the hand that was going to position her to the next phase of her life. And they're going to roam. Yet the balm of Gilead was present with them. But they were offended by it. That's why the Bible says <laughs> that if the spirit of the ruler rise against you, do not leave your place. For yielding pacifieth offense. Meaning that even not to answer your boss a certain way because they annoyed you is a sign that you're mature enough to handle the next office in that company. But some people think that you're going to speak to everybody the way you want and make faith proclamations and somehow find purpose. No. God doesn't use indisciplined spirits. God will break you. He will break you and discipline you. And one day you look at yourself, you won't even be able to recognize yourself because you've changed. Some of the people serving here were some of the hardest people. Most complicated things. Some of them, they even had, could choose their seats. If they don't choose it, every usher is in trouble. Now I see them also in the back and I'm like, eh, God, you change people. You know, but it's because the maturity, that maturity comes with judging things the right way. To choose. To just choose to do what the heart of God desires. To mature, to do things maturely. Okay, yeah, he hurt me, but I'll not hurt back. Because now this is standing between my purpose and ministry. And if I should show offense in this, then I'm not ready to lead a million people. Because I'll destroy a million of them. So Lord, I choose to bless even that which offended me. Because I need to keep my place with you. And then they send them a check. They hate you, but you're blessing them. Because it's the only way you can tell God that I see things through your eyes. And thus I have judged that instead of acting against this individual, let me choose to extend the love that you've given me because I have been greatly loved. So I'll risk loving too. God says, this is the vessel I can use. Because when I'm looking for people, to reach out to the lost, I want that love to be expressed before the money is expressed, before the budgets are written. 
Whether the man is ready, feels it, or doesn't feel it, it's important that the man has that heart first. So that's why wisdom is there. Wisdom is a qualifier in so many ways I can never explain. It prepares you. It makes you ready. There's a certain level of maturity when you carry in God. You are deemed ready for a course. And heaven will simply qualify you and set you on that course. Because you've given or invested time to understand how God judges matters. You have the right weight of your spirit. You carry discretion. You carry the prudence of the spirit. You're not indifferent to proper, strange to proper. Praise God. Hallelujah. If you do these three things and just take time to study them, you will find your purpose. Or if you, to a large extent, understand your purpose, you'll calibrate, you'll fine-tune so you can live out God's best that his plan and purposes shall fully be expressed through you in the name of Jesus Christ. Raise your hands and let's speak to God. You take me, you mold me, you use me, Cause I gave my life to the Potter's head. Cold, you guide me, you lead me, walk beside me cause I gave my life to all raise your voice and speak to Jesus you use me Lord
Father, I pray. I pray every man raise their hand. I pray you help us, including myself. There are people tonight that want to find purpose, the meaning of life, because it's empty and useless. And tonight, these keys have aligned them. But there are people too who have that purpose in Revelation, but had not lived to the full of that. And tonight, they've been calibrated. They've been aligned right. I pray for the grace, for the power, for the strength to stand in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray for those available men and women that they will have experiences that will establish, position them for the work that you've called them. Somebody receive what is happening right now. Power of the Holy Ghost. Let somebody see something they've never seen before. Hear at levels they've never heard before. Connect to frequencies they have never connected before. You know their hearts, Lord. You know their hearts, Lord. While you prepare the church for the end time revival, I believe that there are men and women here, they might not be preachers like Kai, some are going to be business people, some are going to be professional people, wherever you'll place us, I pray that a distinctive anointing will settle on somebody to fulfill your will, your purposes. I pray for the ministers who are here. God align us in the name of Jesus. Align us to live to your best, to your full. That your plan will be revealed intricately to our spirit. That will not miss one dot, one letter, one exclamation mark, one comma. To the last of your expressions, God, we pray that will live to your fullest. I feel that tonight somebody has been elevated to the next level of their ministry. I feel that there is somebody who has just been waiting for this someone because whatever they needed to know they have known today and that God positions them for the next phase of their ministry and it shall be evident in your life. Give the Lord a mighty hand of praise and shout Amen. If you're sick in your body, I decree that you're healed. If you're struggling in whatever area of your life, you are free. Just receive it as it has been declared because it can only be so and not otherwise. Let me do one more thing before we get out of here. If you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, giving your life to Christ is the first step if you're not already born again. To know him who died for your sins and was raised for your glory. But one day when we go to heaven, either Christ should return or you should go. It shall be such a great experience to meet this person we're teaching you today. Because not only has he promised to live an effective life on the earth, but also he has he promised life eternal for all who believe him. So if you're there and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, say these words after me. Say, Father God, I thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ because he died for my sins and was raised for my glory. Today, I receive Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. I'm born again. 
Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999-400 or email us at info at fenero.org. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.